Welcome to the Homeschooling Homegirls podcast. Join us as we take up space by sharing our BIPOC experiences in the homeschool unschool world. I'm your host, Tiffany Sandoval. I spent most of the last 19 years in the homeschool unschool world listening to the advice from narratives that did not include me or anyone that was not from the white or white adjacent lived experience. This podcast is about elevating the voices that for far too long have been silenced in the name of white fragility. My hope is that by sharing our stories, others can see that homeschooling and unschooling is one of many paths to raise empowered, educated people. Stories will be shared from lived experiences, not theories, and different perspectives are encouraged. So grab your coffee or your cocktail and join us as we expand our perspectives. Joining us today is um, our guest with Ancestral Schooling. She's a historian, seventh generation Californian, and a self-directed learner. How did you start homeschooling? Or well, why? I, you not I was, okay. So I remember how I told you I went to, um, I went to Catholic school, right? And then I spent those two weeks at the ashram, and then I went to sixth grade. And then my, my family circumstances made it so that even though I got a scholarship at that school, um, the finances outside of it to maintain belonging into that world were not there anymore. And so I asked my mom if I could stop going to school. And she said yes, because she had already unschooled my brother, who had a gift for music. He can play about 10 instruments or so. And so when he was uh, 13, she pulled him out of school and just enrolled him at a music school and the same amount of, of tuition that she would she had destined for his private school like mine went to that school and it would just leave him there all day. It's just like this is the amount that I can pay, teach him what that amount's worth. And that's how he grew up. And he's a very gifted composer and musician right now. So there was already well, there is already a history in all of our families of unschooling, right? Like, my mother only went to sixth grade, my father too, my grandmother before my mom only did elementary school. I think my grandmother only went for a few years and then was tutored at home. So we already... We are, I, I laugh because sometimes you see these families now they're saying, oh, I, I started in the 80s or 90s and I'm a third generation homeschooler and I just want to <laughs> laugh, right? <laughs> like, and that's how they, and, and that's an imagery of power and authority they built, right? And so that always makes me laugh. Whatever. So, and anyways, when I asked my mom, uh, circumstances being what they were, I became a, a child, I guess at 12 years, still a child. So I became a child worker. And so I was working as a, as a waitress at first, and I would sell tamales at the tianguis. I would um, clean homes until I finally, I was hired to run a, a small neighborhood upscale gym and um, the lady that owned the gym was uh, like oh um, I'm gonna get my nails done since you're here and this, the class is going can you just sit at the desk right and so I'm like sure I guess you pay me so I'll sit here <laughs> so anyway that started developing and I um, 
somehow ended up running the joint, right? And, so, <laughs> and then later on, I became a, a high-level manager at, um, for a government institution. But I can trace my management roots to sitting behind that little desk and doing her accounting and making it possible for her to enjoy her life, right? Go shopping, go do her nails. So I call my, I guess I became an apprentice in that stage. And so later on, my circumstances changed and I was adopted into a, a white family here in the United States. And I went to the last two years of high school here. But doing that, felt like a shock because I had already been an adult. I was already running a business. And here you are telling me that I need to do 11th grade, you know, U.S. history. <laughs> what the fuck? So I did. And uh, I did the last two years of high school. But I didn't finish one last English class because I came in as an ESL learner. Uh, but the, my mom, my adopted mom, didn't want me to be in ESL classes because that would mean that I would be with the Mexican kids. And so she uh, went and spoke to the administrators and they put me in the English classes, even though I didn't speak a word of English. So in a year, I had to learn English because otherwise I was going to be very bored all day, right? So I remember doing my homework um dictionary at hand and high school homework back then I guess was so easy they give you a questionnaire you have to look for the answers in the textbook right and then so that's pretty easy to do with a Spanish dictionary because back then it was the 90s it's not like I could scan it or google it or whatever <laughs> But I figured out the system and so I would became a star student and I would get medals but I didn't speak a word of English. <laughs> so I guess if you cannot get, I'm really good at poker. <laughs> because, because I bluffed my way through high school, but the, uh, the circumstances in this family that I was adopted in weren't safe for me. And so I was supposed to take a course in, in high school um, English. That was the last class because I came in as an 11th grader having been a manager of a gym and somehow they, even though I didn't have the credits, they tested me and I tested into 11th grade. So when people say, oh, my kid is falling behind, I know from experience that that's not true. Like I had a gap from sixth grade to 11th grade and I placed right into 11th after having worked, right? And lived yeah. in so I went in and I just, it didn't feel safe enough for me to stay in that home one more summer to finish that class. And so I went and I found a job as a nanny. And that was the story of my high school, right? I, I'm, a house, I'm a high school dropout or an unschooler, however you want to call me. And I'm starting to, when I reflect right now in between the difference, uh, what's the difference between a high school dropout and uh, an unschooler, I see it as socioeconomic and racial advantage and systemic knowledge. Because had I had a mom that knew the system 
or had had I had an adult in my in my back that knew the system and could have said, oh, I'm going to graduate my child, I would have a high school diploma right now. Right. So that's that's my experience with that. And so later on, uh, back then in the time where um, I was working as a nanny, I'm like, oh, well, you can still go to junior college without a high school diploma. There was a barrier for me to do that because I had a nanny salary and I was essentially homeless because I was living in somebody's house, right? And at their mercy, like if they didn't want to employ me and kick me out, I had no house. So I had to live there. So anyway, back then, which was like the mid nineties, if you, when I was adopted, they, um, the adoption process went through, but there was still a two year gap where you had to wait to um, become a resident and then be a resident for at least five years and then become a citizen. So there was a two year gap where I, I was an undocumented person. So when I tried to go to college, I still, back then you still had to pay out of state tuition if, if you were undocumented. So I didn't go to college for the first two years after high school. And so I was a nanny. I remember, I think I've told you the story. I worked for a woman who gave me her house keys and her car keys and her credit cards and said, I have to go. I'm going to do quote unquote movie. I don't know what kind of movie it was. Mm -hmm. uh, you keep the kids. And so I was a mom of two kids for the whole summer. Right. And so that was, I learned how to be a white suburban housewife. <laughs> by by being mothering those two kids for two months right and then that was my experience with park days those were my first park days and that's what killed it for me when it came to looking for homeschool park days because I was used to nanny park days and nanny park days are the most awesome thing that one can ever experience. If you ever have the fortune of experience a nanny park day, I fully recommend it. They are, um, they're communal. They are um, emotionally supportive. They are, um, I guess, a you can find any research you want, any healing, physically healing, emotionally healing, um, legally healing, economically healing advice, any support that you would ever need, you could find from an Ananani part day. Um, How do they do it? Is it just that they share openly? Like, It's just, the, I guess, the culture. It's just the culture. Um, it feels very... It feels like home to me. And I guess anthropologists look at it because I've been looking at the way um, anthropologists and scholars study that. And it's, I guess it's very communal. There is an anthropologist called, have you seen her? I think I've sent you her stuff before. Her name is Barbara Rogoff. Mm -hmm. Have I sent her to you? She's a mm -hmm. professor from Santa, uh, Santa Barbara. And she is, she went to, um, Mayan country and studied the way that um, indigenous children learn and dissected it, made a whole diagram. And she, the way she baptized it or called it is learning by observing and pitching in. 
and functioning like a unit. Like, um, oh, you I'm did not doing it. I'm not doing it justice. No, you did. I'm just going to send you the video. We'll put it yeah. on the link and whoever is interested in, in figuring out or learning, having it westernly dissected so that I, this question can be answered. I guess we can. Okay. So that was the step on doing that. And then I started getting jobs. Um, a dentist gave me a job as a dental assistant, even though I wasn't documented. <laughs> and I, um, he trained me to be a dental assistant. So I learned as a non-schooler <laughs> or high school dropout, I learned to be an assistant for a dentist. And while I was undocumented waiting to be able to pay state tuition, I worked as a dental assistant for a while. And then that network of, of working for powerful people and being good with connecting to children uh, opened doors for me to be given a job of all places, um, a family violence nonprofit, because they needed somebody that could connect and spoke Spanish. And so um, I did that for 10 years and moved up the, the ladder until I, um, I got the opportunity to um, develop uh, new programs when the nonprofit got grants. Um, I guess that experience in Nani Park Days uh, taught me the culture and I was able to then turn them into community organizing opportunities that were helpful for that. And, and then I continued going to college, but I just recently tried to go back. And the only thing, I got a business degree from junior college. And I just recently tried to go back and I realized the only class I'm missing is an algebra class. And I figured out that I, I got, uh, at the recommendation of my therapist, I got tested Turns out I have this calculator, mm -hmm. and I never um, figured it out. So, because I was trying to get letters behind my name as a historian, so I'm like, oh well, maybe I can try that. And so I figured out I have this calculator, and so that's my story, my personal story with unschooling, and then my child's story with unschooling or how I, how I decided to unschool or not send my child to school as a parent is that to me, this theme of having to translate yourself because my job has been as a cultural translator, right? Between institutions and people, or I've had relationships with people from the dominant culture where I had to translate in order to be understood, even though there was love, it was, so I didn't want to have that barrier when my child, because the parent-child relationship feels so personal that I didn't have room in my heart for the grief I would feel if I had to translate myself to my child. Like I would feel a separation. And so I decided that I was gonna raise her speaking Spanish. And so I tried, I tried, I tried. She would say words back to me, but speak mostly English and I was really really frustrated and I'm like what is happening and it turned out that what I was missing was community and so by 
the luck of des- la, ¿cómo se la suerte del destino. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard a lady, I saw a lady breastfeeding at a library, a white lady. And she was speaking to her white child in Spanish. And the white child responded in Spanish. And I'm like, what the fuck? Don't tell like What is she doing? <laughs> and it turns out that she had started a little preschool in a marginalized neighborhood here in a, a co-op preschool in a margin, marginalized neighborhood here locally. And um, so she was getting the benefit of having the the community teach Spanish to her child. And so I joined it and that's how my child started speaking Spanish. And then she didn't make it because we don't live at the right address. She didn't make it into the the Spanish immersion school over here, which I thought was what I wanted for her. And she's, She has a late winter birthday. Mm-hmm. So my husband's like, oh, well, just wait a year. I'm like, okay, I can keep doing this. And then it felt like we we're like, okay, well, she's already reading. So she learned to read by herself. She's already writing. She's already doing all the stuff that they're supposed to be going to teach her in kindergarten. So I write, I'm like, honey, how about I just don't set her? And he's, how about I, I homeschool her? And he's like, well, aren't you doing that already? I'm like, oh, I guess I am, right? So we just kept going. That's the story. It's a beautiful story. I, I think guess it's, it's kind a- of like it's a, you weren't looking for it, but you found it found you. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Well, I had a need that I wasn't. Yeah, and then this, the idea of sending her over because it was going to happen the same way that it was happening at that preschool right she was going to get in if she got in because she was um, a spanish speaker and she was going to be used as a padding and a resource to teach the upper middle class children spanish and to know that my child was getting into school as a tool was just bullshit. <laughs> so I didn't send her. <laughs> I felt yeah, if I like I if I don't know. Like her only entry into that upper middle class good school in this neighborhood was in a, a servitude role in a tool role in a tool role. Mm-hmm. And I if I didn't know it all the time, but if it's too much. So yes, I didn't want Lily to be a tool. I had already been a nanny and I knew what being a tool meant. And um, being a tool for bilingual skills, especially, because one of the ways, one of the reasons why I was so popular and well-paid as a nanny was because I was young, light-skinned, and um, attractive um, so that I could fit into white spaces with the kids and on top of it teach them Spanish which made them look good. So I ask Mm -hmm. everybody 
is mm-hmm. on there. When you heard the, when you first saw homeschooling and homegirls, because I've seen both the good and the bad mm-hmm. of people's reactions, what did it make you feel? Pain. Because as a, a child immigrant that entered um, high school, like a heavily Latino high school, um, there was back then that I associate, not pain because of who you are, but the word homegirl represents pain for me because as a high school student, fresh off the boat, I guess. Is that appropriate? Maybe. Um, you know, freshly arrived, newly arrived into the U.S., the homegirls make their power known and let you know that you're Mexican and they're homegirls. And there's, um, there's danger in that physical presence and that dynamic. There's like a barrier that I'm, that I'm trying to get over as I give new meaning to that word because now it means community, right? But if I hear it in isolation, that's what it means. What it means to my heart, that memory. And I appreciate that perspective. Because mm-hmm. I was that <laughs> girl that was... Uh, I would tell that- the other ones where to stick it. I mean, yeah, when I moved um, to El Paso, like, mm-hmm. I, it was a cult. I mean, I went from a predominantly white and Asian um, community in Cerritos to, to a really Mexican one in, in, um, in El Paso. And it was, you were part of something. And I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be a cheerleader. And I wasn't going to be, you know, I was, I was like really into reading and really smart, but like, I wasn't going to be a nerd. So then that left another group of people and like, it was like the gangs. And so I learned really quick. You either let someone take advantage, well, that and the way I was raised with my dad, but um, Mm -hmm. you let someone take advantage, you do it first before someone else does it to you. So yeah, that was, I understand. I'm sure lots of people I made feel unwelcomed <laughs> and it, it is also then there's also at that age a competition for the men right too and how sometimes the i guess for some chicano men there is a, a, a mexican fetish like oh esta es tortilla original right and <laughs> so there is a thing that's a thing how do you guys do homeschooling or whatever you want to call it? I mean, self-directed education or unschooling, I don't know, or at, um, ancestral schooling. We, I can't say it. It's like you're asking me again with the sex. <laughs> it's like you're asking me, so how do you have sex? How do you have- I don't know. Okay. I just do. <laughs> Well, a lot of it's just like, like for me, like now that I've like learned to do it, like um, I, before okay so with my older two kids it was really like we just lived our life and if Mm -hmm. and that was it like if somebody was into something then they followed it or they didn't follow it but I didn't keep track um I didn't with Jade and this is what I this is where I 
don't agree with radical unschooling is that I really, I know that my personality can overpower hers. Mm -hmm. So I was so scared of doing that. I didn't participate. So if, and she was not like, she's super creative. I'm not creative. I'm linear. Like I like structure and spreadsheets and lists. Jade, like throwing paint everywhere or making the recipe without following the recipe or just, she would just get really in her mind. She could see what something could be. And for me, I could only see what it was and work backwards from it. Mm -hmm. So I really disengaged from her a lot when, as she was learning, because I didn't want to, I was so scared. Uh, she was like, cause she, I could steer her and I saw that. And so I didn't want that. So I basically like was hands off. I would try, I tried to enroll her in classes. She wanted nothing to do with classes and nothing to do with people. Um, she didn't care about park day or groups. She just wanted to be with books and music and art and documentaries. And, and if she did hang out with people, there were people like her so they could hang out, but they wouldn't necessarily talk. They would just be hanging out doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, I wish in hindsight, I would have engaged more and not been so scared of messing her up. I thought I was going to mess her up if I, if I engaged. Right. So I thought I was being supportive by giving her space. Mm -hmm. That was Jake with Dylan. Um, he always had like this opportunity cost issue. So I couldn't ask, do you want this or that? It had to be like almost everything about one thing. So if he like for him, he would, he's super visual. So he would get into games and movies and he could watch the same movie a hundred times, like stop, repeat, stop, repeat, stop, repeat. And every time he'd get something different out of it. Cause he's, he was mm -hmm. my vocal one. He would always talk about what he was doing. Um, but again, it was not anything that I could tie educationally to like, he's doing X, Y, and Z. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it became to him gaming at a very young age, like eight, nine online with people. Um, but he was always, he always needed people. So I guess I didn't worry because with Jade, she was very introverted and Dylan was very extroverted. I knew he was learning because obviously he was typing to pe like on the games. He was um, reading what they were saying, um, but it was very not educationally viewed mm -hmm. with Logan. Um, He's the kid, I guess I could actually really do that without, like, I think if I could go back with Dylan, I would do unit studies because everything has to touch for him. Um, I always ask my kids what they wish I would have done for them so that I could do it with the next one. Uh, both Dylan and Jade said, I wish you would have made me take classes. But I think if I would have made them, they would have said, I wish you wouldn't have made me take classes. So I take it with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. With Dylan or Logan, the last one, um, I have theme days like Monday's math and Tuesday's language arts. And I create something because it makes me feel good. But then if I present it to him and like he lasts f five minutes on it, I don't get like, oh, this was for nothing. I kind of was like, well, I tried, you know, or mm -hmm. whatever, um, which is really exhausting because all the research and the planning and the da -da 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 that goes into it. I don't know how people traditionally homeschool because I've watched all these YouTube videos of how people are doing it. I couldn't do it like that just wouldn't work for us. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to preserve my relationship with my kid because he is the kid that's most like me. So mm -hmm. anything that looks like I am trying to force anything, like he'll just shut down right away. Um, at, but I, what I do see is there's a big gap. 
between being self-directed education, we learned and homeschooling. Like if you're just jumping into this, just from all, like with the pandemic, I started talking to people that, um, that wouldn't have ever considered homeschooling, but this whole distance learning isn't working for their kids. It's a big leap to tell somebody who's already been and with school system was working for them to like now let their kids do whatever they want. It's just not the same. It doesn't translate the same. And I get a lot of like, you know, the teacher told me, the doctor told me, the whatever told me, like they want a prescribed way of homeschooling, mm-hmm. right? And, and I'm sure there's people out there that can do that. That's not me. I don't have mm-hmm. a prescribed way, but they need some, they need a starting. They need, they need, I don't know, to see how other people are doing it. And I, okay. when I started telling my, my sister-in-law, like, um, how I realized as I was telling her how crazy I must sound to her, just like how crazy it sounds to me, how she sends, she goes to three different schools to drop off three different kids. And she jumps through all these hoops with each different teacher. To me, that sounds crazy. But then when I go tell Mm -hmm. her what I'm doing, that must sound like freaking alien to her, right? Yeah. How do I homeschool, right? Yeah. How do you homeschool? Or maybe what does homeschooling look like for you guys? Maybe that's a better question. Yeah. Well, it's looked like a lot of traveling, a lot of tagging along. Um, it looks like I'm doing a lot of things together. It looks like doing a lot of things communally. It looks like taking classes. Right now, when my child is middle school age, the way it's looking, is every beginning of the semesters, we look through what's available and what she would like to explore. And then we go from there. And then also it looks like, um, like I've mentioned translating, it's a thing for us, being able to translate ourselves to exist in this world, right? So she is part of a charter and she does function very well in the charter, um, creating the samples that the charter needs. And also with the testing, she does fairly well. Um, So it gives her, yes, uh, it makes her educational facilitator feel very enthusiastic about having her in her roster. And so I've noticed right now that my, our educational facilitator is from the dominant culture. So she, you can tell she's trying to do the work and is super excited to have um, what she considers a Latina girl doing well. So she tries to find opportunities for my kid. Like, oh, well, you could do this, you could do this. Some of them have been good and some of them are hit and miss. And for example, she's trying the girl leader, leadership program right now and that she really likes a lot she's doing it twice a week um it's the girls of color learning um, social justice and feminism and a discussion group through by uh, participating in a group with where the leaders are women of color activists or teachers themselves that's that's amazing yeah, that is amazing. I feel very fortunate that she gets to participate. So she she does a lot of creative work, like a lot of um, um, story writing. And um, 
I have a niece who's studying, he's, who's about to graduate with her license to teacher, teach the English subject, subject in middle school and high school. So um, I pay my niece weekly as a way to give my niece a job and practice. Mm-hmm. And also because there's an age difference, there wouldn't be a chance right now for them to bond for as long as they do if it wasn't over books, feminist books and story writing. So that's what it looks like here. And it looks like a lot of pulling your weight in your household. Um, Acomedido is a word that's important in our family. I don't know if you remember the meaning or the audience would know the meaning, but it means like being part of the being part of the group and what the family needs. Um, so if the family needs for us to travel to Mexico and be there for an extended extended period of time to care for an elder, then we will do that uh, as part of a unit. If we if doing that means that sometimes you will make the dinner and other times somebody else will make dinner for you or that you will be in charge of, I don't know, um, giving medication to an elder and figuring out how to do that, then that's part of the what the learning is at that particular moment. If it requires for you to figure out how to live without water for a week, then that's what the I guess the theme is for that week. And so that's how it's been. Also, if it requires for you, because your dad got an opportunity to go to Europe, if it requires for you to figure out how to be in France for a week or a month, then that's part of the deal too. So it's very um, eclectic, I guess people would call it. And it's very... I guess the range of experience has been broad because we have lived as a family unit in places with no trash service and water because of our family circumstances, the family circumstances of our our elders, but also we have lived some privilege because of our socioeconomic opportunities, right? So it just goes, or if if in solidarity you have to go um, be with them, your friends who have undocumented parents and they want friend support to go to a protest and that's what part of the the gig is. It just depends. Acomedida, which means, um, I guess, there's no literal translation I have found for English, but I have seen elders in lectures refer to it in different languages. And I guess it's a thing. It's um, pulling your weight in an appropriate way, in a communal way. Uh, or antis- it's, it's like pulling your weight in a communal weight and also anticipating what the community or the group will need without somebody having to do the work of thinking. All of it. Of telling you. Oh, telling you, ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like anticipating. Okay, so this whole pod thing's like a thing right now, right? I think it's classes as fuck, but I think it's mm-hmm. it's funny in the sense of when I we first started homeschooling, that's how things happen. Parents got together and actually like somebody wanted to learn science and somebody taught science or somebody or somebody had a skill set and shared it mm-hmm. and whoever wanted mm-hmm. to join joined it. 
is that what her social justice thing is or is that like an organizational run thing it's something run by an organization oh okay. but we've also where, where you've taken part of it she had an interest for a long time in cooking which i now realized it was more of a figuring out like how things worked and learning how to communally like i think it was the fascination of oh oh my tias are cooking or my mom and my my grandma are cooking and i can step in and be an equal while i'm cooking so i that interest has died down remember it was like for years that was the thing yeah. but i think as she tried cooking classes here and she was segregated into okay you're going to do the chopping and you're going to do the and so then she realized that that wasn't what cooking was that but in the club she was able when we have kids of certain cultures there was sometimes where that flow was created where oh okay we're all working communally to make this And I think that's what her passion for cooking was. It was like a space where she could communally participate as an equal. Logan still um, talks about those cooking classes. He wants to. He wants them back. Like Logan really wants. Oh, I do too. I do. Everybody <laughs> wants them back. But can you imagine right now during COVID, especially oh because There's we have no children from vulnerable populations and with yeah. risky health and all that. There's oh. no way. <laughs> But even before that, I mean, I was really resistant to creating something like that because I think it was not just a cooking class. It was um, not in the way that I think of a cooking because Jay took cooking classes. Like it was a very different, it was a very different space. I don't know. And we had to work really hard on it. And even the people because it was uh, an underground space because we have to bring the the i guess unlawful cooking tools to parks right because mm. part of creating that space was that it wouldn't be in someone's home so it wouldn't mark a difference for the children who are not able to invite people into their home because the space is not suitable mm -hmm. to fit how many were they There's 15. a lot of kids. Yeah, yeah, to feed all those children, right? Yeah. And so for the people from the dominant culture that came in and made it super, I intentionally made it so it was mostly by POC. And the people from the dominant culture that managed to come, we made it a point, if the cops come, the stove is yours. And you will be the person that talks to them. And that was the condition. And I guess if you have a, a I guess, a colleague, right? Another, a fellow homeschool mom or a friend that will be totally okay and understand that that's the gig, mm -hmm. then they're, you know they're safe in the space. They're safe yeah. to be there or safer to be there. Yeah. So that was, that was how we made that, that work. And also we made it where it was, Um, there was a limit as to how much the materials could cost, if at all, and they had everybody had to contribute somehow. It was not whoever that's brought the up. Thing, the, mm -hmm. Sorry, that, mm -hmm. that's no, the one thing that that um, I really in a lot of spaces that we've been in trying to create, like where everybody participates without being told how to participate, and like 
acomedidos yeah right and, yes. <laughs> and it was consistent like people really it seemed that people were really participating um, yeah and i think in the mixing of the, the cultures between the dominant and the non-dominant sometimes what makes it dangerous for us from the non-dominant culture is that the people from the dominant culture do not do not know or don't have the skill set or the, the spidey sense to figure out how to be acomedidos. And it's a, it's a cultural clash. They, it's, it doesn't, it can't be done without um, somebody becoming the head or usurping. And I notice that sometimes when I am the lightest skinned person in the room, I think, to be that one that doesn't know. So not just it's not just them. So the I guess I think the more the privilege less, that you have. Yeah, the less assimilated. Oh, okay, let me back up. The if the people in the group are not as are less assimilated than I am, then I tend to fall into that role. And then I notice that I have to make the effort to figure out how I'm not playing with the orchestra the way I'm supposed to. Um, do you mind sharing the organization? Or do you oh yes, and I will, I will give you all kinds of links um, mm -hmm. after this. Um, the place is called Girls Leadership. Okay, they awesome. do have scholarships and it was supposed to be a camp that my child was supposed to go last summer but because of COVID it was canceled and she had to write an essay and I have to pass an interview because they wanted to make sure I was going to be okay with the social justice talk so they screened the parents they screened the families for that to make it safer for the participants wow that's amazing mm -hmm. um yes uh, do, is there anything I mean there's a list of questions but I think we covered more than this is why I like them when it's organic because we talk about things that I don't, you don't know how to ask for mm -hmm. um or at least I don't um I don't know what is there any one thing you want someone um, to walk away with maybe not one thing but a thing that you want somebody to walk away with how the roots of unschooling come from cultures that haven't assimilated and how it's important when we toss around that word or we listen to people from the dominant culture that call themselves authorities in that realm that we realize the root and that we harvest accordingly and how we and how important it is to realize that the Columbusing that happens as we are learning to unschool, as we are learning to decolonize as by POC. Because our proximity to whiteness can turn it into us Columbusing and erasing entire populations, right? Like you and I have friends who are not part of this conversation right now because we're speaking English. Yeah right and who we know very well would have very strong opinions about some of the things we've said 
they don't get to work, they don't get to tell us off because we're doing it in a language that excludes them. Or in a medium that they may not have access to. So just uh, beware of the of Columbusing and and having fantasy relationships with your culture as you decolonize. Because I'm all about empowering people's voices. Mm-hmm. Where I where my limitation is is my mm-hmm. lack of. I can speak Spanish enough to get by, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's, it's broken. It's, 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 I can understand it all, but then I can't find the words to really communicate sometimes all the way back. But in mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, you, like you said, we're excluding a whole group of people. I could think of one particular person that would call bullshit on a 50% of the stuff we said. <laughs> Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> yes and, and I think that, um, that her voice I know you're I think I think you know who you're talking about mm-hmm. I think her voice is so important but how mm-hmm. do you balance wanting to open up the conversation so people can see each other without one putting people at risk mm-hmm. in vulnerable positions um and allowing them to feel welcomed in a space that just like I can't communicate in Spanish completely. Like when I'm in spaces, when I go to healing spaces that Mm -hmm. are for um, indigenous or Mexican or um, not, I mean, Chicanos are welcomed, but it's not necessarily a space for them. Like, I feel like I don't belong there. I feel like Mm -hmm. I can't speak up in that space. Um, And so I'm wondering if does that work the same way, which is a press, probably a question for them, not for you. Yes. Per, um, but um, I guess, how do I, how do you balance both? How do you balance of wanting to have your voice also included in the narrative of who and how people homeschool and uh, like unschooling comes far beyond John mm-hmm. Holt or Sandra oh, Dodd yes. or whoever, right? Or mm-hmm. whoever wants to claim it as their own. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a cultural thing that like, I know, like we've talked about generations past have been doing. It's how mm-hmm. information and, and things are taught to people far beyond before school was an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and still like, I can only be me. I can, I'm Chicana mm-hmm. and that's just who I am. So I'm going to mm-hmm. be speaking from that perspective, but I don't want to limit other I want to include other people, but I also feel like I don't know how. Maybe that's it. I'm going a long way to say I don't know how to fully. I don't know know either. And I guess if we were white people asking the same question, I don't know what we would tell us. And I guess we would probably say, I'm picturing a white friend right now asking me this question, right? Why would I tell her? I would say, try, if you mess up, you won't lose anything because you already get to keep or be who you are, right? Yeah. You're not going to lose any. I don't know. The cancel culture doesn't exist for white people. Like we've canceled J.K. Rowling, she's still there. I canceled Trump and he's still there. (laughs) 
know. Well, I should have that. I canceled Ivanka a bunch of times and she's still there. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't, I guess we would have to think it from that way. And also, I guess, depending on the language, be it an indigenous language, a dominant language like English or a dominant language like Spanish, the languages are a way of thinking right? Like Spanish and English I've learned are accusative and dominant language. El comió, he ate. What are you saying? In Mayan or other languages, you would say, I saw the man eat. Lo vi comer. So that's, that's important. So I wanted to share because there's a lot of principles of unschooling written around. There is that dissection by that anthropologist from Santa Barbara on how we learn. And then there is what indigenous people translate to Spanish for some populations to be able to read. And a big self-directed unschooling culture is happening right now are the Zapatistas, right, in Chiapas. So I wanted, I wrote them down and I wanted to share them here. They're in Spanish and I'm gonna do my best to translate them. These are principles of unschooling as written by another culture. So here they go, el zapatismo, okay? Um, The first one is representar, no suplantar. So represent, not um, impersonate. Second one is bajar y no subir. To come down and not go up. To serve and not serve yourself. Um, To convince, not dominate. Conservar, no dominar, is the other one. Construir y no destruir. To construct and not destroy. Proponer y no imponer. To propose and not impose. If you think about that, that's what, when people write the principles, and you can apply this to ecosystems, to teaching, to business. And so when you think about it from another worldview, you come across with a lot more that is not just unschooling or self-directed, it's a lot bigger. Like we could spend an hour discussing each sentence, right? Yeah, because the, the line is so, for me, is so, to cross that line is so easily to mm-hmm. impose, to propose, but not impose. Mm-hmm. How far do you take in proposing something before you start imposing it on somebody else? Like mm-hmm. I think in a Western mind, think or in Western thinking like that, all these get blurred really easily. Mm-hmm. But what if we, I don't know. I, I think so. if, if we concentrated on what's being 
what to do instead of what not to do, I think then it becomes easier for my brain to break down to yeah, see where I'm doing, where I'm not doing that, I guess, maybe, I guess I'm, as you're reading each line, I'm trying to figure out, mm-hmm. I'm trying yeah, to, yeah, which one, what my, each one means, right? Yeah. Represent, uh, representar, no suplantar, wow. Bajar y no subir. It's like anti-American right now. Just kidding. I mean, we're all supposed to be climbing, right? And I think it's like subversive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I keep talking about this book. I've been reading this book Untamed, but she talks about she talks about meditating. She talks about sinking. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when she said that to like Barabahad no Sovid was like, I think there that it's not so much not just in structure, but in self when you're going deeper going deeper into why and who you are instead of trying to make the outside and trying I don't know does that make yeah, sense yeah and and it's important to to also remember that we're two Chicanas in the U.S. speaking about this in English in isolation yeah right and we are translating it to whatever we think it is and we don't know but I just wanted to close with that like bring it up and say this is another this, are, this is another list of the principles of unschooling. Where did you find those? Or where are, like, where could we find more? I will send you a bunch of links of uh, Zapatistas or uh, Gustavo Esteva, who is part of um, the Zapatista movement, who in blood, it's a relative of all the people who are Zapatistas, but who has decided not to incorporate himself into the indigenous group because he, I guess he deems himself too westernized and unworthy maybe that's the interpretation I'm seeing from all his writings but yes I will send you a bunch of links uh, yeah thank you I mean I do I feel like that's when people ask because I've been asked straight face to my by people who identify as indigenous or are indigenous um why I won't I won't even consider or becoming I don't know mm-hmm. what, indigenizing indi- or remate yeah, rematriating like yeah. some people call it uh-huh. um I just don't feel like I'm allowed to I don't know I guess that, well, that's what that's the answer I keep giving because that's what I feel like I feel like that's not um I'm too westernized I wasn't I those aren't it's not my I don't feel like it's mine to reclaim not because I don't I don't think it's important or I don't I think it's amazing I think I have I have more respect maybe that's I feel like you know when um like my grandma my grandma does not like me whatsoever I love her but Mm -hmm. I it is what it is and um and there's things she can say and do that I don't let anybody else say or do because I have this respect for her mm-hmm. and I kind of look at indigenous people the same way where like they have, they have paid such a high price to keep their traditions, to keep their culture, to keep who they are, to keep grounded um, in, in who they are that I don't feel like, because I feel like I want to be that, that I could just come in and just take it and say, and, and claim it as my own. Like it's just- Yeah, that- I, 
I, yeah. I, I completely agree. I think it needs to be harvested with respect. And I go back to those principles of harvesting. If the plant you want to harvest from doesn't have enough leaves at the moment, why the F will you go cut it and use it, right? Yeah. It's respect. And it took, I always keep thinking back, it took seven or more generations for me to get here. It's not going to happen in one generation. It's too much to undo. And I'm okay with me being the person that says, I respect it, I acknowledge it, and I give it its credit. And then maybe the next generation can be the one that's invited. Invited. That's so powerful. And it's, it's a grief that I have that is, I am the one that gets to do this. And then maybe my child will get to do the other and the other and the other. And so, I, like I said, it's like COVID. Either we do it all at once and people die, or we take it and get overlooked and oppressed and hurt, or we take it little by little with patience and suffer the consequences for it. And I think out of respect, I'm okay with suffering the consequences for it. Trying to make space for BIPOC in the homeschool and school world because we aren't few. We're not the exception. We are not mm -hmm. um, any of it to any of the educational or communal ways of living. Um, no. Hey, my yeah. husband grew up as a world schooler. He was a Chicano. He was born for him, a mom that went to another country, right? And wanted him to be raised in another culture. And also because of childcare, he was sent over every summer to Mexico. And so he was a world schooler. <laughs> it's not a new thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think because people don't talk about it, it's easier for people to like mm -hmm. claim as their own. Or to yeah. not even just claim to Columbus. to Columbus and to like exclude those it belonged to in the first place mm -hmm. or their perspective, which I just answered my own question when I don't include the people like of who the person we were talking about earlier, um, <laughs> then right. I'm taking away their perspective. I'm taking mm -hmm. away the, the ability for us to, I think just to trust, like, I don't think that person would trust me enough to have a conversation with me. Because I think mm -hmm. trust is to be vulnerable. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just saw my own answer in that thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I want to thank you for your time. And I want mm -hmm. to especially, um, how can we, or maybe it's just, maybe it's already happening and I just don't know. But how can I promote or expand the view of people that are already doing the work of cultivating with respect and not uh, taking so that I, I'm just trying to expand the perspectives. I'm just, I just want people, I don't, I'm not I doing don't, this I, for the white people. I'm doing this for the, for people like me, because this is who I am at the moment mm -hmm. or, or my kids, if they decide to homeschool, because if I was raised with some traditions and some culture, my kids were raised with none other than the ones I tried to create. 
So if they decide they want to come around and do and lift, like learn, like, I don't want them learning from white people about their culture. I don't want them learning from uh, Chicanos who have taken what a little bit and tried mm-hmm. to like, ex- like you said, like now Halloween is Dia de los Muertos. Like, I don't want that either. So where do we start? I don't know. I've spent my whole life asking people the stories so that I would know. And I don't know yet. Um, I don't know yet. I, um, I try my, I try to listen to people who have never assimilated to learn from them. And that's how I've got, arrived to the conclusions that I have. Um, I don't think I'm the person to ask because I don't know. Um, I think what you just said is it mm-hmm. by asking the people that haven't assimilated, but that means <laughs> look in your circle and why aren't you any of those people that haven't assimilated not in your circle, right? That's what I'm. It, it means it means to harvest with humility and going and asking, "Hey, I did this," and also um, I'm going to share this link with you later, but maybe that can be another conversation is how I think that Latinos right now or Hispanos or Mexicanos or our people from our side of the world are earmarked to become absorbed into whiteness just like Italians did mm-hmm. and how we're being centered. Because you, as we in our conversation, you were able to speak about, you watch a TV show that reflected an experience. In the Super Bowl, we just saw a Puerto Rican and a Colombian woman be centered our language is centered. And because I'm, my name is Giovanna, right? I am a person of Italian descent as well. I'm super, I have been looking into the, the idea of how Italians became white. And I read a super interesting article about how Italians became white. And I, how by reading that article, I was able to piece together the stuff that's happening for Latinos right now and how we are the next population being marked to be absorbed into whiteness. Oh, yes. Let's have that conversation. Yes. So some other time. Yeah. Yes. Another conversation. Yeah. But thank yeah. you. So and- already. It's one o'clock already. Oh my I goodness. know. <laughs> I miss you. Um, and I yeah, miss your Yeah, it's my pleasure. We- we need to talk about how Mexicans or how Latinos are earmarked to become white. And I think we have friends from other cultures who would definitely agree that we're becoming very dominant. Um, yeah. Um, so if people want to, do you want, can I um, send people towards your blog or? or is- you may, but I, um, in speaking with the female empower, empowerment marketing, yeah. I decided to stop writing it because it was turning into that. And until they was able to become a communal effort centering other voices or alongside me, which I think Lori from HSE is doing by inviting other writers into her space. But uh, my blog is still there. It's old. I just left it as a testimony of who I was at that time. But I don't, I no longer write there anymore. Oh, okay. But I am open for conversation. How would you other want other people where I'm not being centered? I'm opening, I'm open for conversation with other women to be part of that. Yes. An interesting start to a new thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I will give you a link. They can read about who I was a few years ago when I was writing. And I will send you the links of all the stuff I've mentioned 
And then, yes. Thank you. Alrighty. Okay. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. As always, um, feedback is always welcomed. And the, these conversations are fluid. You know, you're getting a bite-sized piece of a two and a half hour conversation. Um, and so this one was really hard for me to edit. And I'm so grateful you guys are in this space and these conversations are happening as we expand the perspectives of who homeschools and what it looks like. See you next episode. Thanks for kicking it with us today. Want to talk about homeschooling and unschooling in between episodes? Follow us on Instagram at homeschooling homegirls. Enjoy the process of raising empowered people. You got this.